When I fall, I got parachutes. 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 What you gonna say? What you gonna do? What you gonna gonna Is what they say true? And all these questions, I make sure I am still on top. And all these questions, I make sure this train is hard to stop. No matter what I say or do, no matter the song or two, it's me you cannot drop. I'm in a parachute up in the sky. I- I'm in a parachute. I'm soaring down. Parachute. I'm soaring down. When I fall, I got parachute. Politicize every song I sing. Tell you about a reality. You're living in a virtual reality. You're sucking on the tit that feeds you lies. Getting screwed by a system of ties to our demise. We are blamed. Why blame us? That's insane. All we know is pain. Control us for 300 years. Our epitome of fears is in a machine that broke us. Made us get out of focus. Preacher told us stop that hocus pocus. Look what we had. Our culture was just a fad. What they didn't still do is sad. It makes me mad. Why be racist? It's made us faceless. Made us into your slaves. Land slaves for your wage. In this first world country, you're the entire Repeat and recycle. Put more money in guns. We make war to be free. We make war to be free. Are we really? Giving him my all. Giving him my Good morning. All. Welcome to Wake the F Up on 101.5 UMFM. We air on Thursdays, 11 to 11.30. My name is Christina. I use pronouns she, her, and we have a guest with us today. Would you like to introduce yourself? I sure would. Hi, everybody. My name is Shannon, and I use pronouns they, them. The UMFM 101.5 broadcasts at 1200 watts from the University of Manitoba, located on Treaty 1 territory, the original lands of the Anishinaabeg, Nihiawak, Ojikri, Dakota, and Dene peoples, and the homeland of the Métis Nation. So, Shannon, very exciting to have you on the show today. Yeah, um, for sure. I'm happy to be here. It's too bad uh, Karen couldn't join us, but as you said, he's really busy. He's um, always very busy with the feminist agenda. Yeah, that's it it's a full time job. It would have been great to have him here, though, because we would have had like the complete set, you know, of genders, <laughs> she, he and they. <laughs> I hear when that happens, they come together and form a super gender. Oh, my God. That is capable of destroying the cis hetero patriarchy. <laughs> so does that also form like a supernova? Like, should we have to wear sunglasses if that happens? <laughs> I, just do it because we're so bright. We're so sparkling. Oh, we're so brilliant. <laughs> We're off to a great start. That was a Voltron (laughs) reference for anybody who appreciated that. A stellar start. So, Shannon, it is so exciting to have you here today. Not only have I had the pleasure of having you as a friend, I've sort of followed along for some time with your feminist journey, uh, your process of taking theory to action, as it were. In our classes in women's and gender studies, you were one of very few people that would speak in class and articulate thoughtful responses. Um, I'm definitely not someone who was great at doing that. I have to sit on stuff for a long time before it has a shred of coherence. Um, I've read your works in the Feminist and Queer Review, and as of late, you've taken your theory more predominantly on stage. That is, you've been doing stand-up comedy which Mm -hmm. is fantastic. And even the one video that I saw of your comedy, which I'm so sorry, I've yet to come to one of your shows. I need to, but I also know that if I go, it'll take me like a week to recover because I'll just be sobbing helplessly. (laughs) Because even from the video, it took me like three days. It's this fantastic cohesion Mm -hmm. of epic feminist theory coming together with just like epic delivery. And it gives me life. 
Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> That's amazing. That video that I posted was the first time I ever did it, and I was so nervous, and I feel like I rushed through it, but really? you were in stitches, apparently. Um, yes. That's great. Absolutely. <laughs> thank you for giving me injuries. Um, I j- <laughs> so since then, over the last few months, that's been picking up? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I typically, um, I mostly do open mics. I perform like two to three times a month, usually. I had one booked show, which is one that I get paid for at the Kennedy a couple of months ago. Uh, It's been good. And the stand-up community, like, I absolutely love them. I am just blown away by how kind and how just warm-hearted and how accepting everybody is. Yeah, Yeah, it's been a great experience. And super open to hearing about like you said, feminist stuff and uh, queer stuff. And like, they've been really supportive for the most part. It's been awesome. Yeah, I've definitely noticed that a lot of people have realized that comedy is a really sweet medium to convey what to a lot of people can be really, unfortunately, unpleasant stuff. There's a lot of stigma heavy topics that people will realize if you can just kind of make light of it and like laugh about it, that can be fantastic. Mm -hmm. Of course, that can't be done with all things because some things can and only should be taken seriously but for a lot of things they can really benefit from like a solid comedic delivery Mm -hmm. it's so powerful and i love comedy as an outlet for so many reasons like you said it's a great way to have these important conversations and Mm -hmm. it's amazing that i can go into a place and have a group of strangers sit down and listen to me for five minutes while i rant about feminism or fat phobia or transphobia or racism or reproductive rights And they laugh and they have a good time. And hopefully they're also taking in, you know, the message that I'm trying to convey. But yeah, I can't do that really in any other context. No. Yeah. The second that you start bringing up these kinds of things and whether you're laughing about it or not, Mm -hmm. a lot of the times it's received with a "Ah, people (laughs) just like the walls go up and yeah, people get defensive. But Mm -hmm, yeah, mm -hmm. comedy is a great way to have those types of conversations. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that you mentioned there was fat phobia. And that's an incredibly Mm -hmm. important topic. And I don't hear enough about it. I don't hear as much as I would like to, despite how massively relevant it is. So do you want to kind of speak on that a little bit? For sure. So staying sort of in the same vein, we talked about comedy so far. I want to talk about a a particular incident. I say incident, like I feel like it wasn't a huge deal, but still something that I kind of that kind of stuck out to me. It was an occurrence. It stuck out to me. It's kind of emblematic of that whole just sort of fat phobia and like diet culture is as a culture and being inescapable and people how they talk about it so casually and it's not questioned. And one thing Mm -hmm. that I always wanted to be able to do with my comedy was to make people think as well as laugh. Yeah. So I use it and I'm always trying to never punching down And because frankly, I'm tired of being the butt of the joke. I am a fat person. I'm I'm queer. I'm trans. And for so long, like a lot of jokes were made at my expense. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I love that now I get up there and I sort of take back the control and I poke fun and I'm not making fun of fat people. I'm making fun of fat phobia as a system. And I love that I get to be able to take it apart that way. But And that's fantastic because Mm -hmm. you're directing the attention exactly where it needs to go. You're reclaiming Mm -hmm. your power. And like you said, you're taking control and then you're reminding people you're not the person that should be the butt of this joke. The attention should be placed on the system, on the oppressor. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly where we need to place our blame. Mm -hmm. Exactly. That's such an important concept that I feel like we should maybe circle around back to later. Sure. Uh, But I just want to... Before I forget. Yeah, I'll tell you. So what happened at the the last time I went to an open mic to perform, I did 
My most recent set has a lot of jokes trying to pick apart fat phobia and expose it as not only ridiculous, but also dangerous. Mm -hmm. um, so I go and I do that set. And some some places it's better received than others. I always look and I see one or two people scowling. I know it's kind of not. It makes people uncomfortable. And I know because I'm not being self-deprecating. I'm not saying, hey, look at me. I'm fat and I'm sad because of blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. And they don't know how to deal with that. Yeah. No one's ever encountered a fat person who is never mind even who who loves themselves but who's just comfortable with themselves so I see that it makes people uncomfortable when I am but so I went up I did my thing I think it was fine but then several of the comedians that went after me went up and did the very you know the tired old weight loss joke and and the self-deprecating yeah. stuff about themselves yeah. and it was just I don't know I had my moment of empowerment and then it was immediately stripped away uh, right after <sighs> and I see these people go up and talk about that which I mean, you make jokes about whatever you want, but because you're saying it about yourself doesn't make it any less hurtful Does, or sad. Internalized exactly. fat phobia is still fat phobia. One thousand right? percent. And uh, yeah. can I just say, I'm so glad that you called it tired old humor because it is. Mm -hmm. Those jokes rely on people becoming slightly uncomfortable to hear them. No mm. one like the reason that they think that that humor is effective is because they are quote unquote giving a voice to this kind of thought that people have in the back of their head and like giving mm -hmm. that negative voice validation exactly. and laughing about it mm -hmm. but that's not productive and i don't think that people even walk away from that necessarily feeling good no they don't they feel less alone i think they don't necessarily feel better about themselves no but exactly. like you said it, it it validates your self-loathing yeah. And that's not how I want people to feel walking away from one of my shows. Exactly. You know, no, that's so horrible. You want to validate the other side of the coin, which is exactly what you're mm -hmm. doing. And I think what everybody should be doing. Yeah. Now let's just circle back to the idea of placing the blame or the focus back on the system rather than on the individual, which mm -hmm. is where historically it has been mm -hmm. and where I think it shouldn't be and nothing really productive ever happens because mm -hmm. obviously people aren't born with these beliefs. They come from somewhere. They're always learned. So we need to figure out where are these beliefs being taught? How are they being upheld? Yeah. And in a culture mm -hmm. where literally everything is structured around upholding and diverting in every ridiculous way possible in like psychologically, physically, in every single way to divert your attention away from placing the blame on the oppressor so that the oppressor can carry on their merry way. The attention never goes to them and nothing ever changes because even questioning something, even if it is incredibly ridiculous, which it absolutely is, you know, exploitation of the working class is absolutely ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And the fact that we're okay with this, that everyone winds up having this internalized kind of message where they're like, oh, well, people who, you know, are starving aren't just aren't they working work hard, hard enough. enough. They're yeah. lazy. Exactly. That's the greatest trick oppressors ever pulled was to convince the oppressed to be complicit in their own dehumanization. And that's how it works. Right. Which is why we need to attack the system. Yes. You look I'm like your mind was blown a little I, bit. I know. I was just like, my eyes just like went wide and I'm just like, yes. Like, you guys aren't seeing my face right now. But yeah, I was I was pretty mind blown. I was like, you you freaking said it like, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. These attitudes definitely are taught in a very literal way in our education systems. And I'm just going to share another quick little anecdote if I may. Uh, yeah, when I yeah. was working as a writing tutor on campus, I would see 
students from several classes, whether it was a nutrition class or maybe like a health education class, but they often got a similar assignment where it was to do a case study of a certain disease. And a topic that a lot of people chose was the obesity epidemic, which I wouldn't even know where to start, how awful, how dehumanizing it is pathologizing a body type. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I have a lot of feelings about the medicalization of fat people's bodies, of my body. That was what a lot of people would choose for their topic. And typically for those types of assignments, they would sort of lay out the issue and potential causes and potential solutions. And, and most of them sort of had the self-awareness to be in the causes. Well, there are certain societal factors. There's poverty. There's food deserts. There's like all these issues. There's restricted access to health care for certain populations. It's an issue of like colonization. Some people actually did mention that. So yeah. there was like a lot of awareness in that respect. But in the solutions, it was always something like, well, we need a public awareness campaign telling people to exercise. And it was, <laughs> but it, it was, you know, and, and that always made me frustrated. It made me angry. Actually, not at the students, but at this is what we're being taught in schools. This is where our, like our, our research, the focus is, this is where the money is going into being like, well, you need to exercise more. You need to buy this equipment or this diet program again, coming back to capitalism. Absolutely. It seems so just the cognitive dissonance, the how badly do you miss the point? And sort of, I, I obviously didn't say that to the students in that way as I was tutoring them. But it, it, oh, I it wish just, you did. <laughs> Could you imagine? Oh, man. Uh, I might have gotten fired for that. I don't even know. But yeah, it, it was just, it, it was ridiculous. Because how does telling people to exercise fix the, the social problems that you've identified it doesn't. It has no. nothing to do with that. We're on the complete, we're barking up the wrong tree completely. 1000%. And another thing that that reminds me of. So we're both getting more and more familiar with social change and activism, I would say. <laughs> um, Just a little. So we tend to, I think, think critically on how to, how societal change actually looks. Like what are the steps that people can actually take? So... I don't know if you have the same reaction that I do in pretty much any situation where as soon as you hear, for lack of a better phrase, a lay person to activism talking about how we need to fix things with public awareness campaigns, I'm just mm -hmm. like, that works for literally nothing. That is not mm -hmm. how change happens. That's a very, very much a band-aid sort of pat yourself on the back. Convince yourself you're one of the good ones. Yes. Yeah. Kind of like, oh, look at me. I retweeted this thing. I used this filter for my profile picture on Facebook to show my support for the gays. But then, oh, I would, I, I, I'm a woman and I would never date a bi man because he might cheat on me. You know? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Yes, exactly. Those are very surface level. You're not digging. That's exactly it. It's surface level. It's surface level. And it comes from a place yeah. of from being unwilling to extend further empathy to these issues, because I think that is what it takes yeah. a lot of the times for pretty much any mm -hmm. social justice issue is how do you convince a person to have empathy for literally any of I these things? I don't know how to explain to you. You should care about other people. Exactly. Have you seen that? The headline from The Onion, I think it was. <laughs> the screenshots that have been floating around like that's the issue <laughs> how do you convince people to care because fundamentally like we can't get anywhere if you see me as less than human and i think people do for fat people for queer people for so many marginalized identities mm -hmm. they're not human and they they sort of don't deserve any kind of support or trying to work through 
you know, or, or deconstruct these systems that have placed them in this subjugated position because we don't care. Yeah, exactly. And once you've once you've made that decision in your mind, you know, a public awareness campaign is not going to fix mm. that. Earlier, we were having this conversation where you were telling me about the pathology. It's a tough word. Don't worry about it. <laughs> you go ahead, Shannon. You go ahead. <laughs> So we're going to return to, because we've got some more time before the end of this episode, an idea I brought up before how fat bodies are pathologized. Uh, it's like a choose your own adventure. You know, you go this way, you go this way. We come back to certain things. Uh, <laughs> sure. Thank you some... for guiding our listeners through this journey. That's, <laughs> I wish you were my tour guide for everything. <laughs> Can I just have Shannon narration of everything? Like, <laughs> but yes, please go on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts and feelings about that, how I can go into a doctor's appointment and sort of just a routine checkup and have them, you know, look over everything and say, you're fine, you're healthy, all your sort of vitals and stats are well within the normal range. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you're completely fine. Oh, but you should lose weight. And for me to be like, well, you just said I was fine. Why am I lose? Why do I need to lose weight? And the answer is usually, well, it puts you eh, higher risk for things like heart disease or arthritis you know what else does aging um <laughs> there is let's let's be perfectly clear there is no disease or condition that only fat people get so it's not only incredibly lazy but dehumanizing and unethical for a doctor to see a fat person not consider their experiences their symptoms anything and prescribe weight loss as a treatment, what do you do when a skinny person walks into your office with the same symptoms? That must be a head scratcher. <laughs> what do you prescribe to them? That's what I recommend. Yeah. If you're a fat person, if this happens to you in the doctor's office, they just say lose weight. Ask them, what would you prescribe a skinny person in my situation? Yeah. Call them out on it. Get a second opinion. This is your health. This is... <laughs> yes, you know, absolutely. And I know, like, I, I know how difficult that can be. To advocate for yourself and there's this power differential it's you know mm -hmm, mm -hmm. there's all these things it can be difficult but there was this literal it's necessary yeah. for you to have to do that the last time I was at the doctor's office you know they, they usually want to weigh you and 99% of the time that's not actually medically necessary if that would be triggering for you say I don't want to be weighed today and I said that to my doctor and she respected that you know decision She's and thank like, well, goodness I, that your doctor did fortunately she did yeah no she was really great and obviously not everyone has a great doctor but mm -hmm. sometimes mm -hmm. you also don't know until you try yeah absolutely I saw this thing recently it was like a post where it was talking about how if you're a fat person and you go to the doctor and you do have some kind of issue mm -hmm. where there will be instances where the doctor basically doesn't want to run tests because they assume that they have it figured yeah. out. Oh, yeah. So, oh, it must sure. be. It must be due to the fatness. That's it. Yeah. It must be due to that. Fat is not a diagnosis. If I can't call in fat to work, you can't diagnose <laughs> it as an illness. That's how that works. No, I'm really tired about <laughs> I'm really tired of this. Yes. It's ridiculous. And you have people and so this is why I think it's important to talk about this because people say like, oh, fat phobia. So somebody like didn't like your photo on Instagram. Like, no, this is a thing that has real consequences that literally kills people. Yes, yes. So with this post, it was talking about how if you're faced with that situation where your doctor doesn't want to run any tests on you, mm -hmm. say that you want it written down. That, that they, they decided not to do it. Exactly. Yeah. Keep a paper trail. 
absolutely as much as you can. Mm-hmm. And apparently for the people, you know, whoever wrote this post, they said that that wound up in them actually running tests. Mm-hmm. So the fact yeah. that you have to do that, you know. It's ridiculous. You have to strong arm people into doing their job. It's ridiculous. One more thought on this topic where people say like, oh, fat people are more likely to be sick or to have illnesses. Well, maybe it's because their access to health care is restricted because of these biases and these prejudices and doctors literally refusing to diagnose and treat fat people. Oh, yes, is it- tear it apart, Shannon. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. Like g- cause and effect here. Like, you know, that's. That's absolutely it. This bias, no question about it. In the STEM fields in general, of course, there's these biases in medical fields. You know, if you are aware of literally any kind of injustice in the system and you know that medical doctors are not perfect, they're far from perfect, they are going to discriminate against people based on their gender, Mm -hmm. based on their body type, based Mm -hmm. on sexuality, sexuality, race, on their, you know, sexual promiscuity, all of these things people have this mm-hmm. you know this nonsense idea that doctors are this objective body but no that that's no, probably one nothing of the, is objective no and, one oh, is objective oh no absolutely not doctors are they've th- that whole industry probably has one of the furthest ways to go that whole idea of it's it's just science science <laughs> is always objective it's not like we measured the size of people's skulls and decided that's how we know how smart they are <laughs> It's not like we ever experimented on people of color and did horrific things to people's bodies. It's not like we ever... In the name of science. It's not like we ever only based all of our research on just white men and never accounted for any other type of gender or sexuality and just assumed that all bodies are just white men. (laughs) Ugh. Like, I'm just angry. I'm just yeah. angry now. <laughs> oh, like, I feel bad I did that to you. <laughs> no, don't don't be sorry for that. Like, I'm so glad that you're able to talk about this because it's still way too normal for people to have fat phobic thoughts and ideals. Mm-hmm. And like, like, I mean, goodness, mm-hmm. like even in any type of manual labor job, like this summer, I did firefighting a mm-hmm. lot. A yeah. lot of my coworkers expressed uh, less than savory ideas about more than one subject. And that would definitely include fat phobic types of thoughts. Mm-hmm. And it's a physical job, but we literally had coworkers of every body type and everybody was capable of doing the job. Mm-hmm. Yet still, some yeah. some of the whatever guys would sit down and would talk about how blah, 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 you know, these people, blah, 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 mm-hmm. shouldn't come to this job. You, That's ridiculous. Earlier it, today, I saw you working side by side with somebody with someone doing their job. Exactly. Especially in something like that, where I imagine the um, testing that you'd have to go through or any kind of like we all pass the same physical test. exams and Every- like screening regimens. I imagine are very strict for such a physically demanding job. So there's yes. it's not an issue of people being capable. Not at all. No, it's 1,000% uh, an issue of internal bias. I'm sorry I keep saying 1,000%. I don't know if that's just my phrase of the day, but that is, <laughs> I, I am so sorry for that. <laughs> we'll, we'll make it a thing. It's a yeah. thing now. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Shannon. You're always so validating. <laughs> we were just chatting prior to recording this broadcast. We were talking about public spaces that are like free and accessible and how that's a very anti-capitalist thing. Oh, uh, it yeah. was just a neat idea. And something I think is important to think about, like I mentioned, with stand-up comedy, it's really, it's very accessible. Surprisingly so. It's free if you go to open mics. They're always free to attend or to watch or even to perform. Mm -hmm. Um, There's no audition. Like the stakes are pretty low. And anyone, if you want to do it, you can just go do it. And I love that we have things like that. And you mentioned 
public libraries. Yeah, there was this post going around a little while ago where it was talking about how we need more public spaces that you can just go into and not be expected to spend money. Mm-hmm. And I saw that post and it was talking about, yeah, so libraries was the example. And I'm like, this could not be more relevant because this this whole summer... I went out to BC and because I was doing that firefighting work between jobs, I was living in my car. Uh, apparently, that's the thing a lot of hippies do out there. So I, <laughs> behold, I that's what I did. And during the day out in, in Nelson, BC, like it gets to like plus 40 there. It was a really hot year, guys. I don't know if you know, the whole province was on fire. <laughs> so I would want to go somewhere during the day and my car was not an option. I don't like to be microwaved. So... <laughs> I would want to go to the public library and that was kind of the only space that I would go and not be expected to spend money. Like if I went to a restaurant, if I went to a store, if I like where, like where, you Mm -hmm. know, even if I went to like community club or like a gym or something like that, like you're expected to spend money at literally Mm -hmm. every single one of these things. Even parking spaces are like for customers Mm -hmm. only. Mm -hmm. Yep. There's like, yeah, you have to pay at a parking meter. Like there's literally nowhere you can sort of just (laughs) go and be. Yeah, exactly. This relates to the point of how we definitely should not, and this is a nasty symptom of capitalism, things that we need to survive are for profit. And nothing that we need for survival should be for profit. Nothing like the fact that pharmaceuticals are for profit. What Disgusting. a mess. What a mess. That's, it's embarrassing. It's, like, I don't know. I don't even know what to say about that. No. Yeah. So like pharmaceuticals, food, water, like bottled water, like my goodness, and education, the university, mm-hmm. it functions like a business. There's a staggering dropout rate among first years, and you'd better believe they don't refund you those hundreds, if not thousands of dollars for your courses. So this has been a riveting discussion. Major takeaway of this show, if you're a listener, I think important uh, PSA here for you. If you are ever interested in, if you are interested in any subject of human rights and you are asked to come up with some kind of theory on how to make things better please don't say public awareness campaign it does not work (laughs) any ending thoughts here shannon (laughs) uh i second that also try to look at the big picture try to look at the systems that are in place one of the main criticisms i have with body positivity is telling individual people to love themselves Sure, that's great, but that's that's not where it ends. I love the heck out of my body, and it doesn't change the fact that as a fat person, I'm going to have difficulties accessing medical care in a fat-phobic healthcare system. Um, also, I have a diet recommendation for all of you listeners. Eat the rich. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Love you so much, Shannon. Thank you so much for coming on our show. Of course. This was so much fun. Absolutely. Anytime. We'll have to get you back another time to talk about asexuality, mm-hmm. which is a really awesome topic that also people don't talk about enough. So that's all the time we have this time. Our listeners, please feel free to catch us on Instagram. It is wake the F up, UMFM, all lowercase for any comments or suggestions for future shows. See you next week. Thanks, Shannon. Bye-bye. Get blue, but I know how you would want us 
it's hard, it still haunts us. I stay strong, not cause of me. I stay strong for those who love me. I'll never commit suicide, even if I wanna die. Till I'm old in the land of ice and snow. I know where I will go. I will thrive, I will strive. Most importantly, I will survive. 